You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where Jim and Patrick watch and discuss a drive-in double feature consisting of horror films, spy films, exploitation movies, erotic thrillers, sex comedies, and the like. Our ultimate goal is to determine if these two movies, randomly selected from a list of over 1,600, would make for a good drive-in double feature. We will be going through the plots of these movies in detail, so if you're concerned about spoilers, feel free to check them out before listening to us, and we'll be sure to point out if and when these films are available on various streaming services. Be sure to follow us on Twitter for any updates. That's at Podcast, no underscores, hyphens, or spaces. And let's get started. I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined by... Jim. All right, Jim, this episode we've got... Universal Studios' Dracula from 1931, the English-language version, because there is a Spanish-language version from Universal from the same year, actually, and then also The Big Dollhouse from 1971, a returning director for our podcast. It is Jack Hill, the director of Spider Baby. (laughs) Yeah, both great movies. One maybe slightly better than the other, at least in my eyes. (laughs) Yeah, well, let's let's start with Dracula then. Okay. This is, as I mentioned, a a film released in 1931. It, I believe, was released before Frankenstein, so this was... I've heard people say that this is the first sound horror film. I don't actually know if that's true or not. It's def- definitely Universal's first sound horror film, but I don't know. And then what would have been the next Universal monster movie after this? The Invisible Man? The Mummy was 32. Oh, well, you know, my favorite Universal monster movie is The Mummy from 1999, starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Tom Cruise Mummy. Well, oh, get out of here. <laughs> Take off. Yeah, and I don't think I'm going to spend that much time on the plot because, honestly, the movie doesn't either. This is a this is a movie that's both fast-paced and slow-paced. You, you might think that doesn't make any sense. It makes sense if you see the movie. Anyways, the movie starts with Renfield, played by Dwight Fry, heading to Castle Dracula in the hills of Transylvania. He's warned about going there with everyone else who's on his coach. You know, they give him a cross and they say, you know, it's a bad idea. They say something about vampires. But he's like, no, I've got business with the Count. So then he gets picked up by another coach because the original coach driver refuses to take him all the way there. And this this driver is Dracula. Mm Mm-hmm. If you recognize Bela Lugosi, you'll know it. You'll know it right away, but <laughs> you'll definitely know it when Renfield looks out because he's going to complain about the coach moving too fast, and it's it's just a bat flying. <laughs> the flying bats here, they, they don't look great. I've seen worse, but yeah. It's a little jarring because you get this in 1931, and two years later you have the Invisible Man with amazing effects. And King Kong as well that year. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, and then you get a rubber bat tied to a fishing line or something. It's it's like theater-level effects. Yes, yeah. You know, like, you accept these if you're watching it on stage. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this movie feels like it belongs on stage. Well, wasn't this adapted from a play? That yes. That they did not the original book? It's, I mean, it's it's based on Bram Stoker's Dracula, of course, the novel. But more specifically, it's based on a play and that's actually how they got Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi performed that role on stage as Dracula. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's paced like a play. It's just, it's not the most exciting. I hate to say it. 
This is no this is no invisible man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. So anyways, Renfield o- arrives at Castle Dracula. We get a couple iconic lines here when Dracula bids him welcome and then he has his whole children of the night little thing. And they eventually discuss business. It, well, Renfield, I guess, is in the real estate business or land acquisition or whatever. He He's a solicitor of some kind, right? Yes, because Dracula has recently leased an old abandoned abbey in London called Carfax. Mm-hmm. And he's planning on going there with Renfield. They're chartering a ship. Dracula insists he only has a few boxes to bring. <laughs> and this this scene's really great. This is the um, this is the scene when Dracula offers him wine, and then Renfield's like, oh, "Don't you drink?" And he's like, oh, "I never drink wine." And he's like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, that's great." <laughs> and this is also when Renfield gets a paper cut, and there's a little bit of blood, and Dracula <laughs> can like barely control himself. It's great. These two actors, Lugosi and Dwight Fry, make this movie for me, especially later on, at least for Dwight Fry. Yeah, I totally agree. And this scene that you just uh, mentioned, I mean, it might be one of the most exciting scenes in the movie for me. I mean, after this, it kind of falters here or there. But yeah, this first act is fantastic. The first act is in Transylvania is great. The rest of the movie doesn't quite live up to it, I don't think. Yeah. And I mean, this is kind of like this scene is the crescendo is, is, is the ending of the first act. And it, it, it just feels so great. It feels so right. This is probably what Dracula or what fans of Dracula wanted to see, I guess, if there were fans of Dracula in the 1930s. Of course there were. It's a <laughs> successful play. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I just couldn't see people showing up in, in like ties or something and being like, oh, yes, honey, this is my favorite part. I love this when Dracula's aroused by blood, <laughs> you know? Well, we got to point out, Again, I have no knowledge of this Dracula play, really. I just know that it exists and Bela Lugosi was in it and that's how they found him. But in the novel, this this part of the novel is actually my favorite stuff too. And the novel's an, it's an epistolary novel, so it's told through letters and it's it's not like a straight narrative. It has a bunch of different narrators at given points. And you you'd think like that sounds kind of boring and By all means, epistolary (laughs) novels were way out of fashion in 1897 or whenever this book came out. Yeah. That was like a huge thing in like the 1740s. Like, I don't know what Bram Stoker was doing. (laughs) Um, To be fair, I mean, Stephen King did it with Carrie almost 100 years after this. So Yeah, but Stephen King's cool. Uh, I just remember this stuff being great. But I also remember that Renfield is not in this portion. This character, I mean, Renfield is a character in the novel. In the novel, Renfield is crazy from the start. Mm. And in, in this is Jonathan Harker in the novel that goes to Dracula to do Dracula business. But <laughs> I point that out business. mostly because Jonathan Harker is just the lamest character in this in this movie. He just sucks. He's so boring. Yeah, I agree. So later at night, Renfield is visited by a bat in his room and he faints. And then Dracula appears and bends down to pick him up, and then we kind of cut. We end up on the ship that's heading to England, and we see that Renfield is stowed away with the luggage, being Dracula's coffin, and we see that he now serves Dracula loyally. He's like under a spell. Yeah. If you don't really understand Dracula or how he works, you won't really realize that he has this kind of like magical hypnotizing power until later on. Yeah, he tries it. You you get a good visualization of it later on. 
But that's really late into the movie. That's with like seven minutes to go, I want to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because this is another, you know, surprise, surprise. This is another Universal Monster movie, another, you know, 70 minute movie or whatever. I mean, that's just that's just how movies were back then. Imagine if Zack Snyder's Justice League were 70 minutes. <laughs> uh, the 70 minute movies don't exist anymore. And no, yeah, but maybe they should, back. you know? I mean, I've seen 90 minute movies that feel 20 minutes too long, you know? At any rate, when the ship ends up in England, it is quote unquote unmanned because everybody operating the ship was was killed and this is a neat scene i mean it's kind of an awkward scene but it's pretty neat in how it's shot because you see the shadows of like a dead person or two Mm -hmm. you know a dead crew member which is kind of neat and they're all talking like oh what's going on and then they hear renfield laughing and the the reason i say it's awkward or it's a little strange is that the people talking we don't see yeah. They're just, I guess, behind the camera. But then they open the door and see Renfield there just laughing maniacally. And this is the moment when you realize, like, holy shit, Dwight Fry, man, he he is owning this part. Yeah, he's got, um, I forget what movie it was that we did recently, but I said that somebody had great crazy eyes. Probably Hatchet for the Honeymoon, maybe? I don't know. May- oh, that might have been, yeah. Dwight Fry has great crazy eyes he's got that great kind of maniacal insane face and and just his whole way about him too and i'm used to seeing him in like frankenstein assistant hunchback makeup too so it's (laughs) nice that we see him in the opening just as a normal guy he's Mm -hmm. dressed normally fashionably i assume but he's just he's just like normal looking and then from here on out he's always got a crazy grin He's always laughing. He's got those wide, bug, crazy eyes. It's great. It's wonderful. Or, you know, he's trying to eat bugs. Oh, yes. Yeah. So this next bit we learn about Renfield, we actually learn by reading a newspaper. (laughs) Because this is is back in that era when this is how you transitioned from scenes and gave us exposition. Because (laughs) we learn that Renfield is now at a sanitarium under the care of Dr. Seward. And the next time we see Dracula, he's just wandering about the streets of London. There's this, like, flower girl or something. Yeah. And he just stares at her, and she, hes he, I guess he's seducing her. Or you mentioned the spell earlier, except it's not quite that. But he's, like, seducing her, and then he just goes in for the kiss, but he's really going in for a bite. And then she's dead. And then Dracula shows up at the opera or the theater or whatever. The weird thing about this flower girl scene is that it almost didn't need to exist. Like, they could have just not included that. It only feels I think like... They, I think they need something establishing Dracula in London before he just shows up at the uh, at the opera. Yeah, It didn't necessarily I, I need so. to be this. Because the only reason... Or the only reason I can think of for them having a scene like that is to remind you that Dracula is a, an evil person who can kill people. Well, maybe, but I mean, we haven't seen him kill anyone up until this point. He no, but we have heard that he's he's Renfield. evil and, you know, he does kill people and he rises out of a coffin and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, normal people sleep in coffins. <laughs> yeah, like Ozzy Osbourne. It's that this opera scene, this is when Dracula introduces himself to Dr. Seward and Dr. Seward's friends, who are in this case his daughter, Mina, Mm -hmm. and then also her, I don't know if they're dating at this point, but Jonathan, Jonathan Harker, and then her, also her friend, Lucy, 
we're probably less than a half hour into the, the movie. We have met every character but one at this point in this movie, basically. <laughs> yeah. We're just like, we're just blowing through these character introductions. But it's at this <laughs> box that uh, that Dracula mentions that he's got a lease on the new Carfax Abbey. And they're like, oh, that must be quite a fixer upper. And he's like, no, nah, I plan to do very few changes. <laughs> And then that's kind of it. He just, he's, I guess he charms the women a little bit. We learn later it works better on Lucy than it does Mina because those Mm -hmm. two are talking and Mina only has eyes for Jonathan, but Lucy's like, oh, I think he's kind of cute, like in this weird way. And then, and then like, like a minute after we meet her, Lucy's dead. It's like, right. It's because it's right after that scene with Lucy and Mina talking that Dracula shows up in her bedroom and bites her. And then, so so it's basically 30 seconds after, I mean, it's it's like probably two minutes after we meet Lucy, she's dead. And then it's like 10 seconds after we learn she's dead, we're like on to the next scene. You know what I mean? Because there's this like autopsy or like examination of the corpse, like in like a, like a university lecture hall kind of thing. Like, I don't know if it's a bunch of doctors looking at this and they're like, oh, she's dead with the same two bite marks on like, and then boom, we're done. Like then that scene is over. Yeah, the weird thing about that scene, because I was re-listening to it, and there was, I think they were operating on her, and it wasn't just like an autopsy thing, because at one point, they're like, okay, she's dead, and they okay. said, how many, how many, tra- or when was the last transfusion you gave her? He's like, oh, like four hours ago. He's like, ah, oh, no amount of transfusions could save her. She was drained well, either, dry. Either way, the scene should have been longer than 15 seconds. <laughs> yeah, that scene that, only existed to, to introduce Dr. Van Helsing. <laughs> yep. Dr. Van Helsing is our resident vampire expert. <laughs> he's interested, obviously, in, in the two marks on the neck. And he's also interested in Renfield, who has this creepy fascination with bugs. <laughs> and, like, the blood that runs within them. And eventually his, his fascination switches between different bugs. And I think t- later on it kind of switches to rats. But bottom line is Renfield's a weirdo. Speaking of animals for a second... <laughs> why were there possums in oh in the in, in the crypt? transylvania there was also a bee yeah and there was also two armadillos yes i think <laughs> whoever was the set decorator went out and got the most exotic animals they could find in southern california <laughs> if i had to take a guess uh, yeah well, no i I, like... I i've always wondered that since i was a kid i'm like what why is there <laughs> Well, like, the possum, well, possums like, are kind of like they're nocturnal right like I there's guess at least so, somewhat yeah. of a connection but the but, armadillos man i don't know no well at first i thought like oh, is the possum supposed to be a rat <laughs> like were they hoping people didn't know what possums were or what possums looked like and then yeah then there's like the bee crawls out of its own mini coffin or something like it crawls out of like a piece of wood yeah so dr van helsing examines renfield's blood and finds traces of vampirism or whatever <laughs> You know, we've got, I don't want to say a scientific, a scientific explanation for vampirism, vampirism, but we've at least got in this movie's universe, there is, there is a scientific explanation. We don't get that explanation, but it's there, I guess. Doesn't he scare him with the, with the wolf's Yeah, he pulls out the wolf's because this is oh, the one okay. he actually gets a chance to meet Renfield. And I think it's, it's at this point too, that we learn that Renfield's probably been sneaking out at night, like every night. Yeah. <laughs> And Renfield's in his, like, cell, and Dracula shows up outside his window and just stares at him. He's, like, telepathically communicating with him because Renfield is responding. He's like, oh, no, don't make me do that. (laughs) 
and that scene doesn't really go anywhere because we don't i don't because the next scene is dracula goes to seduce mina mm-hmm. i thought they were in this scene that they were saying they were talking about mina they never used the the name yeah and and we learn about renfield doing things for dracula but we never see those things right you know we have no clue what those things are for all we know he could just be like distracting the people of the seward household while dracula does stuff i don't know well we know he's not cleaning up because we see carfax abbey later <laughs> Ren- renfield hasn't brought out a broom or anything <laughs> no no yeah i i think unfor- as much as i like renfield here like how crazy Dwight Fry is and really it's just the it's the kind of intensity and the energy that you don't see in a lot of performances from this era Mm -hmm. I think the only actor that really could have matched him again from this era probably would have been like Peter Lorre but he was out in Germany at the time doing M so yeah I don't know but Dwight Fry is great but at the he's no longer really a part of the story at this point I mean he fucks up massively towards the end we can get to that (laughs) But yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen him integrated a little bit better in the story. But anyways, Dracula shows up at Mina's, I'm going to say house, but I think the house and the sanitarium are the same place, right? Yeah, I think the house is connected to the sanitarium. Yes, it has to be because Renfield just like goes in and out. Wanders in. <laughs> <laughs> Later on. Yeah, this reminds me of like a like a Jersey Shore house or something. Like It's just like, how many people live here? Because we pretty much always see Jonathan here. Well, Van Helsing, I guess, makes sense if he's doing something with the sanitarium. Yeah, Jonathan's the one that doesn't make a lot of sense here, I guess. No, but he's in love with Mina, so he has to be close by. And then there's that Cockney guard guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the handler, <laughs> I guess you could call him. Yeah, so Dracula shows up as Mina's describing her terrifying dream, and all of a sudden she's interested in him, even though we saw earlier that she really wasn't. You know, something's going on here. Mm-hmm. And I would also like to point out that, you know, vampire lore of a vampire has to be invited in. This movie doesn't follow that. He just kind of shows up whenever. Yeah. Which, you know, it's fine. Every movie has its own rules, has its own, every universe has its own mythos. Is there only one vampire movie before this, and that would be Nosferatu? I don't know. I mean, Nosferatu is, to my knowledge, the only adaptation of Bram Stoker before this, but I don't know if it's the only vampire movie that predates this. I think the movie Vampire, spelled with a Y, I think that comes out in 32. I think that's after this. That's like a Danish or... uh, It's like a Danish or German or Dutch. It's Carl Theodore Dreyer, the guy that did did, uh, The Passion of Joan of Arc. That movie's like a... It's mostly a silent movie, and I think it was lost for like something like 30 or 40 years, but it's it's still out there, and it's incredible. And I think that's why it's silent. I think the sound portions were lost. Um, I think that was after this. When you said vampire, spelled P-Y-R, <laughs> spelled P-Y-R, I was like, no, 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 this has got to be a joke, because this sounds like some edgy goth vampire movie from like the late 90s. I mean, there's, it's like the German spelling for vampire or something, or yeah. the, the, the Dutch spelling for vampire, whatever the hell weirdo European country that movie's from. <laughs> but, but you mentioned Nosferatu. We get a Nosferatu title drop in this movie. Yes, we do, yeah. Is Nosferatu, like, that name, does that mean anything other than that movie? Is that, like, a mythological term that I don't think so. the Murnau movie? I don't think so. Here, I'm going to Google it real quick. 
if if so that's it or if not rather that's a pretty that that's kind of that's kind of like a flex because that movie Nosferatu notoriously is it's an adaptation of Dracula but Bram Stoker's widow was alive at the time and didn't want them to have have the rights to re to make the that into a movie so they just changed the names that's why they get to the name Nosferatu they wanted to call him Dracula and uh and so it's like whoever wrote that line in is like oh yeah this is the real Dracula we can talk shit about Nosferatu I just looked it up, and the term has been around since at least 1865 in the German language. And it it is synonymous with vampire or vampiric creatures. Okay. But I definitely think they were pulling a a movie reference. So as Dracula is at this Jersey Shore house, he meets (laughs) Van Helsing. And Dracula mentions something like, you know, oh, even in Transylvania we've heard of you. So like he knows who Van Helsing is and he knows he's this he's this uh vampire expert guy. Yeah. And so he knows he's a threat, but he's still impressed with how clever Van Helsing is. In this scene, Van Helsing gets Dracula to come near him and he's like, "Hey, I want you to show you this thing." And as he opens it up, it's a mirror. Dracula just slaps it out of his hand, <laughs> which I love that moment. <laughs> and, and then Dracula's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." He's like, I, I just I can't stand seeing my reflection in, in the mirror. And he's like, and he turns to Dr. Seward and, and Jonathan and Mina. And he's like, Dr. Van Helsing will explain why. And so he's like, he, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't give a fuck. Like, he's no. like, Van Helsing's going to tell him I'm a vampire. I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> like I can't outwit this guy. Yeah, my favorite part is after that scene, he just slowly walks out. There's no run. There's no like, oh, I'm going to Well, he runs away back. as a wolf. He does, yeah. <laughs> he yeah does we don't see that, of course, but. But yeah, he, uh, and this is also when Mina starts to kind of distance herself from Jonathan, which I can't blame her. That character is boring <laughs> as hell, and the actor is boring. Not that Mina's that much better, but I mean, Jonathan just sucks. <laughs> so at this point, Mina's health is failing, and Dr. Van Helsing says the only way they can save her is if they find dracula's place of rest and they slam a big old stake through his heart (laughs) and here's where i'm thinking why the fuck did he tell them where he lived the minute he met them (laughs) dracula you (laughs) dumbass and then there's it's kind of a pointless scene but it's enjoyable because again it's dwight fry he just he wanders into the house section of the sanitarium and he starts (laughs) talking about this weird vision he had that's of like a a red fog which is sort of in the novel dracula shows up as like this mist and uh, so it's kind of a reference to that and then there's also like a bunch of rats and it's not really important but I want to mention it because Dwight Fry just kicks ass in this scene. He's so insane. He makes a woman faint at one point (laughs) just from laughing. I think this is also the scene where like he's talking and he does something with his hand that is really, really amazing where he has it on his chest and one of the doctors asks him something, but he sort of slides his hand down from his chest to his waist in this really like unnatural way. I I can't even describe it, but I, I was just entranced by watching him act on screen. Oh, he's so great. He's so great in his speeches, in his, just his eyes. It's just a Mm -hmm. fantastic performance. Like, I mean, Dwight Fry also, of course, was in Frankenstein. He's in, I think he's like a minor role in like Bride of Frankenstein or something. I think he's, he's like, he's, he's like an uncredited extra in The Invisible Man. He's like in all those like early 30s universal monster movies but i i really think like he's just so great in this movie that if he like if this was the only movie he had ever made the name would still mean something 
yeah to a certain amount of weirdos out there you know <laughs> <laughs> he's just like he, the, he this role has like cult icon written all over it mm-hmm. so dracula shows up again and this time he talks again to van helsing and or I think Dracula's like, oh, you're going to pull out some Wolfsbane, aren't you? Because this is when Dracula's trying to, like, put his trance on him, where he's just giving him those, like, long, creepy stares and yeah. sticking out his arm in a kind of a beckoning way. It's really well-performed by Bela Lugosi. He's just got mm-hmm. a great stare. Uh, but instead of pulling out Wolfsbane, Van Helsing pulls out something that's much more powerful, and it's a crucifix. And it gets Dracula to kind of hiss and turn away in a very <laughs> theatrical way, but I love it. I also really like this scene because it's kind of like these two greats butting heads in just the Mm -hmm. room of a house. And there's that great line where I think Dracula says, you should go back to your own country. And Van Helsing says, I actually quite like it here and I want to protect the people from you. Dracula says something else to him, but Van Helsing responds with, I'm going to excavate, or he said, I'm going to pull Carfax Abbey apart brick by brick and excavate the entire thing just to find your dirt and destroy it or something like that. And I was like, wow. This guy's such a badass. He's really yeah, giving Dracula and, what for. And I don't remember if it was this scene or earlier with the mirror, but Dracula has this kind of knowing grin and he says the line, for someone who has not lived a single lifetime, you are wise beyond your years. I love yeah. that line. That's probably yeah, my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> so I love there's like a little bit of humor in there. It's like, <laughs> like Dracula's lived more than one lifetime. Ben Helsing's <laughs> this old ass dude. Yeah. <laughs> but he's still young to Dracula, you know? <laughs> Because, of course, it's Edward Van Sloan, who was also a doctor in Frankenstein. He was Dr. Waldman, I think was his name. Yeah, yeah, that was his name, yeah. It's kind of the same performance in both movies. I probably like him a little better here, but I think that's just because there's more for the for character to do. to do in this movie, yeah. So this around here is also when Mina and Jonathan are talking. And then a bat comes in, and as Jonathan's trying to shoo away the bat, Mina is talking to it and responding to it. And so it's very clear, obviously, that she's, if not transitioning, she is a, she's a vampire at this point, mm-hmm. I think, or something. And then we head to our very, very, very unexciting climax as Jonathan and Dr. Van Helsing follow Renfield when he sneaks out of the sanitarium one night, and he heads to Carfax Abbey. And and then when and then Dracula, who's got Mina there, sees that Renfield has brought other people there, even though Renfield didn't bring them. He was just followed. Dracula gets pissed and strangles Renfield. And this is probably the last part of the movie I actually enjoy. And it's not just because, you know, no more white fry. It's just like from here on out, it's just like uh, Dracula hides yeah. in his coffin. <laughs> Yeah. And then gets killed off screen. It's like the lamest end. Because we have, they're in the crypt area, and they're looking for both Mina and Dracula. Jonathan's more interested in finding Mina. Van Helsing just wants to kill this dude. Van Helsing, I don't think, gives a shit about Mina. <laughs> and... <laughs> right? Do you get, don't you get that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's kind of like, to... I don't give a shit. Yeah, he's there to kill a vampire. Well, he's also ready to kill her, remember? Like, he opens the second coffin, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, she's not even here. Okay, I guess I'll go back to Dracula then. <laughs> like, I'm going to kill yeah. her first, and then we yeah, kill Yeah, so we see, him find, he, we see him find the coffin, but then we cut to Jonathan finding Mina, and then Van Helsing just shows up, and he's like, oh, it's over. Dracula's dead. It's like, what? <laughs> that's how you're going to end? Uh, uh, yeah. And that's how the movie ends. Mina is okay. 
Dracula is dead. And that's it. But, you know, the whole the ending of this, it's upsetting because this is another one of those universal monster movies that ends abruptly. Like all of the ones that we've done anyways. They, I think they all do that. I, I really think the Wolfman might be the most egregious. Pretty sure they all end abruptly. Some of them feel kind of earned, though. And this one, to me, doesn't. Yeah, well, I mean, like, uh, The Invisible Man ended abruptly, but it ended with, like, some kind of closure. Yeah, that's one of the better endings, I think. But the whole thing with this ending, <laughs> with Dracula being staked to death, it's all off screen, but you can hear him kind of groaning. But did you notice that every time Bella Lugosi was supposed to be on screen acting or doing something, he was never, like, they always cut away or he was never shown, like, climbing out of the coffin, I mean. He wasn't shown getting staked through the heart. I'm sure they could have done something like that. Well, the, the staking through the heart is probably, like, a matter of this might have been just too gruesome for audiences. Oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't and it, as that. for the climbing out of the coffin, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I know you don't see him climbing out. Are you, are you accusing Bela Lugosi of laziness? Or Yeah, I am. Yeah, absolutely. Or, I feel like or, or he was like, a crippling I'm not... heroin addiction that didn't allow him to physically <laughs> act, maybe? Yeah, well, because like, I'm trying to think. I think it was the first scene when we see him wake up, come out of his coffin in Carfax Abbey. We see him carrying Mina, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, that should have been easy enough, I guess, for him. Yeah, climbing out of his coffin, you see a hand come out of the coffin, then the camera kind of like pans away, then when it pans back, you hear a slam of the wooden coffin top, and Bella Lugosi's standing there. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you couldn't have climbed out of that fucking coffin? You know, is this, maybe it was just like a directing decision? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. What about how Dwight Fry is killed in, by a hug and then thrown down the stairs? <laughs> it's fine. It's, I mean, you want something a bit more exciting, of course, but it's fine. It's the most on-screen death we have. Yeah. It's the only on-screen death we have, really. Well, sort of the flower girl a little bit. How did you feel about the side story about Lucy that went literally nowhere? Lucy was in the movie for 90 seconds, and then she died. Well, she came back and had apparently been murdering babies. Oh, yeah, that's mentioned. Yeah, okay. And then... Yeah, I see what you mean. It's a, it's a lot like most of the Renfield stuff. It's more just talked about. It doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I guess you're right. I feel like this movie should have, and I'm not just saying this because it's just a short movie in general, but they blow through the story. With the exception of Van Helsing, you meet basically every single character in this movie like 20 minutes into it. Mm-hmm. I think this movie should have been a good 20 or 30 minutes longer, and I think it would have been better. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know if it would have been better, because I, the, my favorite stuff in it was the stuff in, in Transylvania. Well, you can expand upon that, though, too. You don't have to have the bat show up and have him just faint, and then, <laughs> then that's it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> in the book, Jonathan Harker is there for like several days, if not weeks. And he'll, like, look out the window and see Dracula climbing up the castle walls on the outside like a fucking animal. And, like, (laughs) I mean, they probably couldn't pull that stuff off in 1931. But you can do creepy stuff like that where he slowly becomes more and more suspicious of, like, what the hell's going on here. Yeah. Instead, Renfield's kind of just unaware. And then all of a sudden he's... I'm not even sure if he's a vampire. He's just, like, a vampire servant well i guess he is a vampire because his blood tested positive for vampirism thank you dr van helsing but yeah <laughs> i also like that when renfield shows up at castle dracula after he gives himself that paper cut <laughs> and dracula kind of lunges at him and then jumps back because of the uh, uh the cross the crucifix he mistakes it for dracula being afraid of blood when he just heard a whole village full of villagers say he's a vampire they're vampires up there <laughs> you should be terrified yeah. i don't know that's fair 
So what do you think of the movie overall? Overall, it's all right. It's my least favorite of the Universal Monster movies that we've done so Of the far. three, it's, I think it's by far the worst of the three. But it's, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I just feel like... It's also the only one not directed by James Whale so far. That's not a coincidence, folks. James Whale was a good director, a very good director. Who directed this? Todd Browning, who directed Freaks. And I think I've seen three movies by... I mean, he did some other vampire movie with Bela Lugosi that I've seen that I don't believe was a universal movie. Freaks is Todd Browning's masterpiece. The Dracula's not nearly as good as Freaks. I just feel like Dracula's kind of boring, but I don't really want to use that word... But it, I don't know, it's just, it's like lackluster or something. It's it's methodical. It's methodical in its pacing. No, I, I would use the word boring, but not to say it's like the entire thing is boring. But it's definitely not that exciting. You want something more out of this movie. And I think it's even like, even just like the lack of musical score. It just, it feels like an old, old, old movie. And the way certain things are edited around and I just don't recall those issues with Frankenstein. Yeah. Frankenstein felt less like a filmed play than this. Yeah, and I'm wondering if this feels even more like a play. Like, as you brought up the editing, there's just, like, a lot of cuts to a completely different scene or, like, where Dracula walks into London. It's like, how did he get there from a ship in Whitby, you know? Did, did he fly there as a bat? Did he take a carriage? Did he whatever? I don't know. If, if it just needs to be like more fluid from like in, in scene changes or scene transitions or something you got to have more newspapers to transition <laughs> <laughs> imagine if any every scene is like newspaper dracula has arrived in london That's just oh my god be so upset <laughs> Uh, and then, again, that whole kind of, like, side story with um, Lucy. Like, at one point, because I think at one point we see her walking in the woods, and then we see, like, a, a constable roll up on a bicycle because you hear some kids crying. And then they talk about this, like, rash. And then, oh, what's his name? That, that Cockney mental patient handler guy. He's reading the paper to these women behind a desk, and he's like, oh, yeah, uh, two little kids were attacked last night. They were bitten after they were lured into the woods with some chocolate by a woman in a white dress oh what's going on there i don't know Th that that just goes nowhere i'm like uh -huh, okay yeah i don't know I, I just feel like this movie should be more than it is it's a movie that for me i kind of really mostly just appreciate it for bella lugosi and dwight fry mm -hmm. and then some of the castle sets and stuff like that the rest of the movie i could kind of take or leave so I'm thinking good movie, not not a great movie. Are you in agreement there? Yeah, yeah. Good movie, not a great movie. Definitely one to watch if you haven't seen it, though, just to say. Oh, yeah, oh, I mean, I've it's a necessary Dracula. watch. Like, you yeah. can't, like, you, you don't even have to be, like, a horror fan. If you're, like, a film person, it's just like, yeah, you gotta fucking watch Dracula. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, uh, you can't say you enjoy films and live your entire life without seeing like the wizard of oz you know there's like certain yeah. movies that it's just like you have to see it this this one no it's no wizard of oz don't get me wrong but it's 70 minutes you know give it a chance exactly yeah take 70 minutes out of your life you know and watch it good movie give it a watch not a great movie but uh you know what is a great movie i think everybody should watch <laughs> the big dollhouse from 1971, this is a women in prison movie, and I definitely thought this was going to have more nudity in it when you first ex like described it to me. I had never seen a women in prison movie before. First of all, I never really described it to you. I just said it's a women in prison movie. I think that's all I said. Yeah, I, I think you said it's a women in prison movie with Pam Greer, 
And I was like, oh, Oh, no. yeah, I mentioned Pam Greer. Okay. Yeah, I like, no, I said is... Sid Haig also. Oh, you did. Yeah, that's right. And then you told me it was directed by, uh, what's the name, Jack Hill? Jack Hill. No, but this is a, because um, this is one of the few movies that we've done so far that I hadn't seen before. So I couldn't really have been oh. more descriptive than I was. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, when I turned it on, I was like, oh, no, there's going to be, like, uncomfortable rape or, like, like I will say this movie rape. was not as rapey as I was expecting. It was not <laughs> as rapey as it could have been. It's yeah. a little rapey. There's a lot more talk about rape than there is rape. Yeah, also... Which I guess is good. I mean, <laughs> if, it's one, if it's one or the other, I would rather that. Also, give me a second here. I want to look up where it was filmed. Oh, yeah, where is it set, even? I think it's set somewhere in like like Vietnam area or something like that. I was thinking like I was thinking like Nicaragua even, but okay. oh yeah. Well, there were lots of people who looked. Oh, they're in the Philippines. Oh well, this okay. That makes sense. This is an American Filipino production. Oh, is it really? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that might mean five dollars came from Philippine investors. Who knows? But the the Philippines, if you're not familiar. <laughs> They were big into exploitation movies. You have like a movie like Raw Force is a great example of like Filipino kind of action movies were kind of their own breed. I haven't seen too many of them. And this I wouldn't I wouldn't really call this an action movie. It kind of becomes like a girls with guns type movie for like the last 15 minutes. But yeah. okay. so that's enough talking about it. Let's get into it. The Big Dollhouse. We open with this awesome song, which is sung by Pam Greer. Oh, really? Yeah, she sang it. I found it on oh, YouTube. No way. It's great. I'll send it to you after. It's a good song. I liked it. We're introduced sort of to these three women in very 70s clothing who are driven to this <laughs> women's prison in a bamboo cage. I laughed so hard when I saw that. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe because this is like the same era as like Vietnam. You know, I don't. <laughs> I just thought it was really funny. Oh, and I think Vietnam POWs are funny. Is that what you're saying? Anyways, they get taken to this prison and they get out and are immediately roughed up by the guards there. They are, I will call, finger inspected by the guards. Oh, yeah. Rather roughly. Like spread and everything, yeah. Yeah. And the main character out of these three women that are brought, uh, shit, what's her name? Collier? She was thrown in prison for murder. We later find out she killed her husband who happened to be gay and was banging a houseboy. And she was also banging the houseboy. But pretty quickly, we learn that there is, like, this weird kind of, like, this prison's almost, like, for, like, political prisoners. Mm-hmm. I'm getting too far ahead of myself, though, because we meet this doctor. Really nice guy. I forget his name, though. It's his first day at this women's prison as well. He seems nice, and uh, he gives uh, Collier a quick once-over before the guards rip her away and throw her into a cell with, like, five other women. One of whom is Pam Greer, beautiful, beautiful black lady who I think probably her last movie was... Um, Jackie Brown, maybe? That might have been her last movie. She's been acting for 25 years since then. I don't think that's her last movie. Oh, was it? I I thought she kind of retired. I thought she was dead, to be honest. No, she was, like, trending on Twitter recently. I don't know why. (laughs) She she was, though. And I think think people were worried she was dead because that's... (laughs) How it always works when um, when older celebrities trend on Twitter that people are like, oh, shit. It's like, no, 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 you guys, it's just Paul McCartney's got a new album out. He's not dead, you know. <laughs> uh, so Collier has to kind of quickly fit in with all these women in prison. And Pam Greer quickly makes Collier her, her prison bitch. Pam Greer, who plays a character named Greer. Greer, yeah. That's just weird. Yeah, is it weird or was it easy for like the director? Ah, yeah, yeah, well, named is it, is, I mean, yeah, but it's like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely kept on thinking they were gonna call her Pam. That night in prison, 
Collier is set on fire by this crazy inmate who accuses her of being a spy. And then all the women in the prison gang up on her and give her a swirly until the strongest woman in the cell breaks it up and is like, look, she's just a scared kid, okay? And we also learned that there was a woman who had occupied this bed that Collier slept on before and she was killed recently. And then we cut to the next day where we see this woman who died. She's, she's being cremated. And uh, <laughs> this one lady prisoner comes forward and she's talking to the warden who's like reading a, like some kind of sorrowful poem. And her name's Alcott. And she says, look, I don't think my friend was killed trying to escape. And she says this right to the warden who is German. Uh-oh, that wardress. kind of prison. Oh, yes, the her, wardress. Her name tag or whatever says, like, head wardress, which that's not a word I'm familiar with. I'm not sure if it is a word. It probably is. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a word in, in in the Philippines. But yeah, so this this seemingly nice German woman runs this work camp slash prison, which, uh, you know... Let's not get too into the Germans and camps, but... Um, oh, yeah, the Germans enjoy, um, like, tents and camping outside. That's what you're talking about? Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, of course, yeah. Germans are big on s'mores. <laughs> yeah. Also, I want to point out, this might sound like I'm kind of jumping around a bit, but also the movie's edited much in the same way as I would say Dracula was <laughs> edited, where you just kind of get cuts to scenes. Because while it's a low budget movie, this yes, (laughs) it's a it's a low budget movie, and it it feels that way, but in a way that I kind of like. I'll I'll take a low budget movie for certain genres are meant to be low budget, where you don't want to see them like heavily produced. In a women in prison exploitation movie, I don't want to see a fifty million (laughs) dollar version of this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't want to see James Cameron make his or James Cameron or Christopher Nolan or Zack Snyder make their women in prison. (laughs) exploitation movie (laughs) i want i want this shit shot cheaply and i'm seeing something like one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, hundred fifty thousand for this movie it's like okay yeah Yeah, maybe maybe even less so after this quick little uh, funeral service these two random dudes roll up in a jeep to the prison they're bringing what i thought at first was produce but it's actually like a food cart yeah and one of them sid haig who's got hair i commented because he was bald in Spider Baby, and it's like, oh, I guess he's always been bald, but like, because he had the shaved head look in here. But no, I mean, he wears a hat like the entire movie, but he's got some thick hair, at least on the side, and he's got some burns. Well, the only time you see him take his hat off, you can actually see a bald spot on the back of his head, but that's at the very end of the movie. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so these guys come into the prison to sell food to the prisoners, food and cigs and stuff like that. And Sid Haig has this plan or this idea that he wants to be raped by a woman in prison. Like, he he wants to get with one of these women, but his whole plan is like, oh, they're all so horny in here. I'm just going to wait till one of them rapes me, you know? Yeah, well, because the the exchange, it was something like, oh, what are you saying? You're going to rape them? And he's like, no, they're going to rape me. And I don't think he means, like, literally. I think he he meant, like, they're just going to come on to me because they just can't control themselves and I'm just going to roll with it. Yes, yeah. I think that's what he means, but I'm not sure. I, I hope that's what he means. Well, it, again, going back to there's more talk about rape than there is rape. And I'll take it if it has to be one <laughs> or the other. I will take that in. in like I said, I've seen uh, I haven't seen a lot of women in prison movies. I've seen like three or four. I'll, I'll say this up front. This is the best one I've seen. This is the I, you, you've commented on how you love it. I haven't really said anything. I enjoy this movie enough. It's interesting and it gets pretty entertaining at times. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, it's sleazy, but it's not as like... You don't you know, feel gross. You, you want to shower after it. You don't want to shower during it. Yeah. Yeah, And exactly. there are certain movies. <laughs> Some of the, uh, 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 
I can't remember the name of them. Like Linda Blair made some like oh, no. women in prison movie in the eighties, and that one I like showered three times watching. I was just like, "What is this? this is fucking? <laughs> what is this?" <laughs> Linda Blair simple tanning. It's like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. Those yeah, poor this people. isn't that. Well, you know, the only other women in prison movie I've seen is Escape Plan with uh, Sly that? Stallone and uh... <laughs> Sly Stallone's my favorite woman in prison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's Sly Stallone and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> They're on like a prison boat. I'm pretty sure. Where's the women part? <laughs> no, they are the women. That's <laughs> well. If you're making a joke, why not go like Shawshank or something? Any oh, other yeah. prison movie would make more sense. Well, I want I wanted to pick like the manliest men and call them women. Okay, you don't think Morgan Freeman's manly is what you're saying? No, I think Morgan Freeman's really manly. He's got one of the best voices in Hollywood. What about uh, Orange is the New Black? Have you seen that? Uh, yeah, I've seen a few episodes. I saw like two episodes of that. And then I'm like, this show's never going to have a plot, is it? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm not interested. Like, it's not bad. It, I'm not saying it's a bad show, but I'm just like, eh, not for me. I want a, I want a plot. And luckily, we get that here. We go back to Harry and Man. I forget to, I forget his name. It's like Fred or something. They take their little food cart to the main women, the, the, the main character's cell. He tells Pam Greer that he's got a letter. Sid Haig does. He tells Pam Greer, he's like, hey, I got a, I got a letter for you. It's made it past the censors. What will you do for it? So she lets him grope her under her shirt, yeah. which, I, you know, I would prefer to see that than, you know, Pam, than poor Pam Greer taking off all of her clothes. Sure. Then somehow one of the cellmates, Bodine, because like the letter's for her, and then they go out to work on like a rice patty. And uh, while she's bent over, the head guard pulls her out of this rice patty and reaches down her top and pulls out this letter. So she hauls her away to this kind of like torture chamber where this head guard, she kind of, she literally lets her hair down for this, where <laughs> she strings her up in front of this strange masked man uh, who sits at the other end of the room and just proceeds to <laughs> like whip her. It, like this, this quickly turned into Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay. Yeah. There's a little, um, I'm just thinking with the mask, there's a little eyes wide shut too. Oh, yes. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, so so Bodine's pretty. Oh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. <laughs> uh, no, there's nobody in a wheelchair rolling backwards down a mile long set of stairs. Bodine gets taken back to her cell after she's pretty roughed up. She's beaten up pretty badly, and I think this is when some of the prisoners decide to try to escape. And if this isn't when they decide to try to escape, a lot of other women go to have a shower where you know Collier's <laughs> bitch. Not to not to sound like a pervert, but I like the shower scene. <laughs> The shower scene was actually, I was going to say the same thing. I'm glad you said it, and I'm glad you prefaced that <laughs> with saying, <laughs> I don't want to sound like a pervert, but. Yeah, because, like, Pam Greer has her, like, she has her. She has her She orders collar. that one girl to, like, wash her, and then yeah. Pam Greer just goes away, and then so she goes up to this other woman and starts <laughs> washing her, <laughs> and she turns around, me. and it's like, what's wrong with you? I can do this myself. And she's like, oh, yeah. I just want to make friends. And I'm like, thinking, that's how you make friends? Yeah, yeah, I think she says, I don't want to do things for Greer anymore. I want to hang out with other people. <laughs> I was like, oh, poor lady. Yeah, so they're having this shower, and all the characters leave from the shower, except for Alcott, this blonde woman. And while she's showering, Fred, the other guy who's working with Sid Haig, he stops by and like looks through this frosted glass and he can just sort of see, just sort of see her, I guess. <laughs> and he's really not secretive about peeping through the glass at her. He's got his nose and like half his face pressed up to the glass to see through. It's like Ted Raimi and Dr. Alien. <laughs> yeah. And Alcott's super into this because she was just complaining how, you know, oh, she wants a man in prison. That's the thing she most from being in the, that's the thing, that's the thing she misses the most from being in the outside world. It's men. 
So when she's done from her shower, she goes and steals a knife and then forces this guy to have sex with her in like a storeroom. But it's not Sid Haig. It could have been, she could have yeah. read Sid Haig. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he missed it because he was doing paperwork or whatever the hell he said he was going to do. It's, he's Sid Haig. He was off murdering somebody. <laughs> yeah. Alcott and Fred get caught, and she also, well, I guess Alcott then gets dragged to this torture room where I laughed so fucking hard when this happened. Oh. It's <laughs> because she's taken to this torture room, you know, for fucking a dude, but it cuts to her and she's like tied to a table and she's got like electrodes on her boobs. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I laughed it's so kind hard. Kind of Frankenstein looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was great. And I thought we were going to have like a, because again, this is the first time I'd ever seen this movie. I thought we were going to have like a weird ass sci-fi twist at that point. And we just don't. It's just the, yeah, it's, it's just, just like the costume. Weird. It's just the set they had. I don't know. Yeah. And you know, t- and going back to what you said earlier about this movie being like dirty, everything in this movie looks dirty. Like the, the entirety of the set looks dirty. Oh yeah. Like a and that's run down. Again, building. that's that's where you want a movie like this to be low budget if this is a higher budget movie they clean that shit up and it it's not yeah. as effective i agree but again while she's getting tortured there's this guy in this black a hood pervert in the corner yeah like bending a whip and like smacking it against his leg you know like a real freak Alcott gets released and she's out in the yard talking to a bunch of other women and she's like, hey, you know, we gotta, we gotta escape because I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this shit. I don't like being here. And they grab Collier, who was being Pam Greer's bitch again. And they like haul her away and they say, hey, you want to escape too? But then they get caught by Pam Greer asking her questions, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) And Greer wants to fight Alcott for Collier. And whoever wins gets to keep Collier. Like, so I don't know, work detail, they all kind of, like, go into this muddy area of, like, a cornfield or something, wherever the hell they are. Well, at first it's just the cornfield, it ends up in the mud later. Yes, you're right. This cool kind of, like, groovy song starts playing, and Pam Greer just fucking boots this woman right in the gut, and she falls over, and then they start fighting, and they roll around, and Alcott gets thrown into, like, this mud patty, this muddy rice patty, pardon me, and then somebody pushes Pam Greer in, so it just turns into, like, kind of sexy mud wrestling, and I thought, oh, man, if this was any other movie, their clothes would have been off already. But kudos to this movie. They kept their clothes on the whole time. That's only kind of true. Pam Greer's shirt is definitely coming off at the chest (laughs) area, but she's so covered in mud, you can't really tell. I mean, (laughs) you can if you're looking for it, so I'm going to shut up now, but... (laughs) Sorry, was that, Patrick? Could you repeat that? Uh, I I don't know. We were talking about the shower scene? What? Yeah, 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 shower scene. My favorite scene. I mean, what? Um, Yeah, so Alcott wins. She almost suffocates Pam Which is an upset. Pam Greer was kicking her ass early in the fight so greer says okay alcott you win you get collier as your bitch she can do whatever you want now she's like awesome cool so they all go back to the cell and they start planning an escape and there's really only two members in the cell that aren't really part of the escape plan and that's pam greer who's willing to help and then there's like this drugged up cellmate who has just been like laying on her bed most of the movie she's what is she like like a heroin junkie or something yeah it's yeah it's heroin yeah, so... She got it from Bela Lugosi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Bela Lugosi. Just don't worry, he was long dead by seven. <laughs> yeah. So part of this escape plan is that most of the women have to get thrown in the hot box together, which is just like a steam room. So they start a food fight in the cafeteria, and they all get hauled away into the hot box. And I think Pam Greer 
gets caught. I'm starting to get like a little fuzzy in this part. There's so many things are going on. Pam Greer gets caught by like the main guard while she's snooping around the office for like keys or something. Yeah, that's right. But she just says... Oh, no, no, it's the the wardress, isn't it? Yes, yeah. the guard, but yeah. Oh, no, oh, you're right. It was the wardress, yeah. But the main guard catches her, and they get the information out of her that there's going to be an escape, but that's it. She doesn't say anything else. There's going to be an escape. But she's also told Harry, a.k.a. uh, Sid Haig, to come by later because uh, she's going to give him the goods. You know what I mean? She's going to, you know, Pam Greer, one of the sexiest ladies alive in the 70s. She's going to give uh, uh, Sid Haig the goods when he comes back later tonight. Sid Haig, one of the least sexy men alive <laughs> in the 70s. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sid Haig. Poor Sid Haig. He looks better here than he did in Spider-Baby because in Spider-Baby, oh, they have him. I mean, that's just the character. He's this mentally <laughs> insufficient chi- man-child. <laughs> So the whole point of the plan is that there's something to do with- <laughs> this, 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 Hang on, if I may interrupt you. Yeah, let's go right ahead. This reminds me a bit of like Hanny Calder from 19, another 1971 movie, which is just like, it's a Western that is just genius casting. It's Raquel Welch versus like Ernest Borgnine. It's just like <laughs> oh, the no. both sides of this beauty spectrum. Oh, no. <laughs> That's kind of what's going on here. Or like, you know, I love John Candy. I love him to death. But any movie where he's with like this really attractive woman. When's he with a really attractive woman? Like Uncle Buck, it's the, just the woman from Field of Dreams. She's not like a like a smoke show. The Great Outdoors. His wife's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, I guess I, I, I think I've seen that movie, but not in a long time. What's the other one too? Where like his mom... His, his mom. mom is really hot. Is no. <laughs> no, no, no. Where he's like trying to date this woman, but his mom won't let him. But she's gorgeous too. I, I don't know. I don't know that one. I'm not as well being Splash? a non-Canadian. John I'm Candy's as... in Splash. I know. He is. Opposite yeah, he's, Tom he's Tom Hanks' brother in that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that was his first big role for a movie. Anyways. Well, I mean, yeah, it's not a big role, but he is in Blues Brothers. It's, it's a fairly small role, though. Yeah, was Blues Brothers before Splash? Yes. It must have been, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, Splash was like Bosom Buddies days for Tom Hanks. Mm, or okay. if it wasn't Bosom Buddies days, it was, you know, Blues Brothers was like, he knows you're alone type days for Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks was not a star when <laughs> Blues Brothers came out. No, when did Blues Brothers come out? Was that the... 1980. Belushi yeah, died in like 82 or something. So Belushi yeah. died before Tom Hanks was a big star, I think. Wasn't it cocaine? And that's kind of what made Oh yeah, also... uh, John Belushi takes the Pepsi challenge. <laughs> shut up (laughs) isn't that also what killed john candy cocaine and being overweight well apparently he's just i thought it was mostly the over i don't i thought he just i i didn't think it was drugs i thought it was just like a heart attack no yeah i i think that's what they were saying overweight i think he was a heavy smoker too yeah he smoked like a pack a day also he was out filming in mexico wasn't it for the for this whatever like shitty movie he was going to be in i don't know and he didn't again want to do as it. i was saying i'm as a non-canadian i'm not as well versed in my john candy trivia uh you know before we get back to this i want i was watching uncle buck last night one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when uh he goes outside like after he like goes to the house he goes outside because there's like a cat meowing and he's like come on get in here what are you doing out here stop meowing at me what are you doing stop scratching me just get inside the house <laughs> he walks inside he's like who let the cat out and the kid's like we don't have a cat so oh, like, yeah, get, I, I get out of here shoot get away get <laughs> So I, I saw Uncle Buck for the first time relatively recently, like a couple months ago, and I kind of liked it. I thought it was okay. It wasn't great. But Buck is a narc. He's just an asshole. <laughs> like, let, let the 17-year-old niece have some fun. What's wrong with you? Well, remember the whole point of the movie is he wants his sibling, he wants his brother to like him again. 
because they have such a damaged relationship because Buck is nothing but a fucking screw up. So he wants to make yeah. sure all of no, this I goes No, I mean, it, smoothly, the, the Buck character is fun, but the almost like possessive nature he has over, over his niece is kind of fucking creepy after a while. Yeah, you know, because I, I was watching. I, it. I like his, I like his relationship in that movie with Culkin, Macaulay yeah. Culkin, more yeah. because it, that's less creepy and it's more cute. Yeah. Now, do you remember this line? Because I was watching it on like, ah, oh, fucking something like AMC. Oh God, or I'm gonna have to label this as an episode on Uncle Buck. Dracula and Uncle Buck, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now hold on, one more thing. Because you watched this relatively recently. I was watching it on like, I don't know, like a fucking censored TV channel, like a censored American TV channel. And the bit where he's talking to his niece, she says something like, I'm going to go out tonight. And he goes, hey, I'm going to be here for one more day. Then you can go and do whatever the hell you want. She's like, come on, Buck. How's that fair? And he turns around and in the movie on this channel, he said, hey, get screwed on your own time or something like that. But I think originally he said, hey, get fucked on your own time. But I don't remember. Do you remember? I want to say there was like a surprising fuck drop in that movie but i don't remember in what context it was okay i want to say it's like i thought this was like a family-friendly movie and then all of a sudden there's rape and and there's an f-bomb somewhere and it's like what is this it's like dr alien where it's just (laughs) switching from tones yeah okay where was i about the oh yeah the escape plan so sid haig and pam greer yeah 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 yeah, so also Pam Greer has this other role to play in the escape plan because I guess she's going to Larry, she's going to lure Harry, aka Sid Haig, to the prison so that they can take his Jeep to get out of there. But she has like this other thing that she has to do. It has to do with the cat. Do you remember what that is? I got fuzzy no. on that. Doesn't matter then. So all the women are in the hot box waiting for Pam Greer to let them out. And is it Collier gets pulled out? And she's getting tortured by the head guard and... Creepy pervert in the corner. Yeah, except because that person isn't there yet because as we learn in this scene, that pervert is actually the wardress herself, who everybody thought was a man. But oh my god, big shock, which I mean, I think I saw that coming a mile away. I don't know about you. Well, I saw saw it coming when they had the scene where the wardress was meeting with someone and some guy and he's like, you know, they tell me that there's this man that they have hanging around the prison when women go and get tortured. What do you know about this? <laughs> and she's just like, oh, well, no men are allowed in at that time. And it's like, okay, it's yeah. her then. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Or I, th- I think she's like, no, you were the only man here at that time. And he's probably like, Ehh. and he's like, hey, what about lunch? He just, like, changes the subject. <laughs> so Collier's getting tortured. We realize that this creepy guy is is the wardress, and unfortunately for Pam Greer, she gets fucking stabbed in the neck by her heroin junkie cellmate because she was going to refuse to take her junkie cellmate with her when they're escaping because her junkie cellmate is no use for anything. And Harry finds her body and quickly leaves. So he runs out to his Jeep to hop in it to start it. But bam, all these women jump out and they've got like pistols and a submachine gun and they've got the doctor tied up and they've got the wardress tied to the floor in the <laughs> in like the bed of the Jeep and uh, they're escaping the prison. This is kind of like the pre-gun fight to a bigger gun fight. Yeah, that's fair. Where the guards have all the doors or have the main door barred and the women are like, hey, we've got the doctor and we've got the wardress here. Open up where we're going to shoot them. And they take the gag off the wardress and she goes, kill them. (laughs) Don't let them out. (laughs) So everybody starts unloading on the Jeep and they're firing back, which is pretty awesome. But they get out and make it to a, uh, a lovely babbling brook. 
and here the doctor's untied and they're talking to him and everybody's relaxing and all the women have taken uh, Sid Haig's and uh, other guys' clothes and uh, they're going to drive away in the Jeep. But they're they going to leave the war dress for Sid Haig to rape <laughs> for some reason. And just as Sid Haig takes his hat off and he's about to get busy, a bunch of guards from the prison show up out of nowhere. They've got, they've got everybody at gunpoint. One of the women, uh, she'd been shot in the arm earlier during their escape, and she wasn't going right. to make it. So she busts out these two World War II grease guns, and she just starts fucking firing at everybody, blowing everybody this away. This was my favorite shot of the movie. I love because <laughs> she's got like like some kind of like jacket on that's like covering her. Yeah, and she just kind of like lets it fall, and then it's revealed <laughs> one, her arm is covered in blood, and two, she's got these two big guns. That I love that shot. It's so it's awesome. Great. She just starts blowing everybody away, left and I feel right. Like that one shot is responsible for the entirety of Quentin Tarantino's career. Patrick, also something I'm glad you said because yes, I was gonna say that too. <laughs> I was absolutely gonna say that. Watching that, I'm like, hmm. Go where back did Tarantino to the video store, you hack. <laughs> yeah, you know when he was working at the video store, he was like, hey, so you guys gotta watch this movie, okay? It's got Pam Greer, absolutely fucking awesome, fucking awesome, okay? Pam Greer, the man just loves anything from the '70s. Basically, he's like yeah. the Stranger Things guys, but just a decade earlier. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's exactly it. A little, a little bit of the '60s too, with the spaghetti westerns, which went into the '70s, but you know, they're better in the '60s. Well, you know. Tarantino, hack, we can move on. (laughs) Yeah, so this big firefight is just out of control. There's like dozens of guards and all caught. She's got a pistol and she's firing frantically back at everybody else. But unfortunately... I think Alcott is shot in the gut. She rolls into a ditch. The woman with the grease guns, she's shot and killed. And, uh... All the but she didn't have up. much of a chance. She's not even in cover no. when she pulls out those guns. She knows she's going down. No, exactly, yeah. So all the guards approach them, and they kind of save the doctor, who wasn't really in danger because all the women liked him. But they're about to untie the wardress, and the doctor says, hey, you can't untie her because she's literally fucking insane. She ha- She's, like, psychotic, and I can mm-hmm. prove it when we get back because she has a torture room. And she goes, no, 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 doctor, well, I she's think- got sci-fi devices. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and a snake that hangs from the ceiling. <laughs> oh yeah, we didn't mention the snake, did we? That part was awesome. No, yeah, was that the was that the Collier part? <laughs> I can't remember. I I got most of the women mixed up. I got well, let's put it, I got all the white women mixed up, and they're all white <laughs> except for Fran Greer. So I put that on a shirt. I got all the white women mixed up. Well, the wardress tries to turn the tables on the doctor. She goes, "No, no, no. The crazy one here is the doctor. You should arrest him and throw him in prison." And as they're kind of bickering back and forth. Gas has been leaking from the from the Jeep, and Alcott, who's half-dead laying in a ditch, lights a lighter and just tosses it towards the Jeep. The whole thing just explodes, <laughs> and the wardress is killed, and the doctor helps Alcott kind of walk away. Presumably, you know, they're going back to the prison. It's weird because the whole time the doctor's like, I'm going to take you guys back to prison under my supervision. The prison will be better. And they're like, no, we don't want to go back. But the woman, Collier, she's given a letter by the woman with the grease guns who dies. And she says, you got to take this to my boyfriend who's like hiding from government forces in the jungle somewhere. He has to get this. So as the Jeep explodes and stuff, she runs away. So the doctor's helping Alcott get up. But Collier has escaped to a road where she like flags down a guy in a Jeep. She hops in and he goes, where are you going to? Yeah, yeah. And she's like, anywhere, anywhere you want, baby. He goes, oh, I'm so glad you said that, Miss Collier, because we're going back to prison. We've been looking for you all afternoon. Yeah, who was that guy then? I do some random fucking guy. Was Some it, random fucking guy. I was guy. like, was it Sid Hake's buddy? I don't think so, because he was 
wearing no. underwear the last time we saw him. <laughs> the man can put on clothes. He's got time, but yeah. Well, the I women guess were all wearing his clothes. Well, yeah, anyways, hey, we're done, right? Yeah, so what'd you think about uh, the big dollhouse there, Patrick? I thought it was all right. It was pretty good. Not too long ago, I saw another Women in Prison movie also featuring Pam Greer. And that one, in that one, Pam Greer was like a psychopathic warden that tortured <laughs> people and I think maybe even had sex with them. And I'm like, okay. I enjoyed this more than that, as enticing as that sounds. I can't even remember the name. <laughs> they all have, a lot of them have weird titles. I mean, some of the titles stand out, like Ilsa, She Wolf of the SS stands out. I haven't seen that one. But... <laughs> Bear Behind Bars is a title that stands out to me. Oh, no. I have seen that one. <laughs> it's a Brazilian movie. Uh, yeah, no, this is this is the best women in prison movie I've seen. I haven't seen that many. I've seen Reform School Girls, which isn't technically a prison, but same gist, you know. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's entertaining. The characters, I don't have a lot. There's, they have personality. I think they're written in kind of a fun way where even if you mix them up here and there, like there's still some fun dynamics going on. Yeah. Again, it's exploitation, but I I don't feel like the women are being exploited so much. And that's important. I, like, I, we've talked about this a little bit, but like, I don't want to watch a movie where I feel uncomfortable for every actress on screen. Yeah, I mean, there's what seven, eight women in this movie who are naked. There's mm-hmm. g- good chance one or two of them felt incredibly uncomfortable about this whole experience. But like, I don't know. I feel like Pam Greer owned it. You know, <laughs> if nothing else. Yeah, I know because uh, the nudity about this. Because you're right, it is an exploitative movie, but it doesn't feel, as you said, that way to t- towards women that much. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the that's the way i felt watching it someone might have a completely different view and i would get it i think there's there's always a fine line with exploitation films and i would also like to point out that i i was looking for this because you know jack hill the only other movie i've seen him do is spider baby which is it's a horror movie but it's a comedy too it's a dark comedy i kept like looking for is there some comedy here is there some satire here and if there is i didn't see it but to be fair I think even movie women in prison movies that are considered satirical of the genre, it's hard to tell they're satirical. Like the um, is it, I think Caged Heat, the uh, Jonathan Demme movie, is considered sort of like a satire of the genre. And one of the points that people talk about, like, oh, they're they're satirizing the genre because there's like a women, a woman warden that does all the torture. Like that happens here, and that doesn't feel satirical, does it? You know, no. No. I don't think this is going for satire, but I'm just mentioning that because there are other movies that I feel like don't go for satire, but people still talk about them as if they do. So maybe I'm missing something there and here. Maybe just there. Maybe just here. I don't know. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, again, going back to something I said at the beginning of this, I was surprised by... I don't, I don't want to call it a lack of nudity, but when you hear women in prison, no, there's a lot of nudity movie. here. There's a, there's a relative lack of rape, but there's a lot of nudity. Like they sleep naked. There's the shower scene, which isn't that long. Yeah, but most of the time, though, I would say that the nudity. I mean, I'm not arguing for wanting more nudity. I guess in this movie, but uh, I would every say time that... someone's tortured, they're naked. Yeah, including the woman who is like hanging from like the chin up bar kind of thing. Most of the time, when the women are like fully undressed, they are shot from the back, which I thought was nice and might have been slightly comforting to the women on set. The only person who was shot fully nude from the front was the woman who played Alcott, and she and that was through like a pane of frosted glass. So you didn't actually really see anything. 
But again, women in prison exploitation movie, I was I mean, I, I don't really agree with that. I mean, the shower is mostly from the back, but it's not like it's all, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I was just expecting so much more nudity and rape and just feeling uncomfortable both for myself and the women involved. And I right. walked away thinking like, oh, that wasn't too bad, actually. And I do think the movie's entertaining, too. It's not just that it's not as rapey as we were kind of expecting. <laughs> like we don't we don't want to say that's the only reason that we kind of like yeah, this movie watch it it's not we that rapey <laughs> it's not the, it's not the bigotry of low expectations this is a half decent movie i think the i mentioned yeah. kind of the writing the characters are fun when it becomes an action movie in the last 15 minutes it's it's very exciting yeah i'd love that shot of that woman pulling those two guns out like that stuff's awesome yeah i mean it, it this movie does silly well maybe only does silly well because <laughs> I just couldn't help but like laugh at stuff like that electric, like that electric bra that that woman asked to wear or the fucking bamboo bars. <laughs> or like when they show up to the prison. Bamboo is a, a powerful wood. It's a strong wood. <laughs> Shut up. Or like when uh, have, show... you, have you not seen a Jackie Chan movie where that's like the only thing that keeps him from like falling off a skyscraper? Oh, you're right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Bam- uh, Rush Hour 2, I think. Right. <laughs> But, like, even when they show up to the prison at the very beginning and there's, like, a woman hanging above the doorway in a bamboo cage, I was like, this is so stupid. I really enjoyed it, though. I, uh, this, as you said, I don't think was, like, satirical. There were a couple, like, funny lines here and there. There were a couple little funny bits, I guess. But for the most part, it was just a decent story told in a decent way. And then, like, the last 15-ish minutes uh, were pretty awesome. <laughs> so give it a watch. So, Jim, which of these two movies do you prefer? Dracula or The Big Dollhouse? The Big Dollhouse. Yeah, Dracula was just a little too slow for me. And again, it goes back to Dracula just being a little boring. I never felt, like, bored in this movie. And that's really what it comes down to for me. How about you? I'm going to say Dracula. I mean, I've seen Dracula, like, a hundred friggin' times. There are few movies I've seen more than Dracula. And it's not because Dracula is necessarily one of my favorites. But it's, like, every Halloween... You know, a lot of people like every Halloween, like, oh, you have to watch Nightmare on Elm Street. You have to watch like, well, Halloween, of course. For me, it was always the old school, the Universal Monsters that I had to watch every year. Yeah. And for the most part, still do. I think I might have missed Dracula this past Halloween. But I mean, I've been watching it for 10, 15 years now. So I've seen it way too often. And I don't enjoy it probably as much as I once did. But I also enjoy it more than I did probably a few years ago. And I think it comes down to I enjoy the Dracula Van Helsing scenes. There's only a few of mm-hmm. them, but I enjoy those a lot more than I remember having enjoyed them. Like, I think the writing of those scenes is really great. Big Dollhouse was a pleasant surprise, but I think Dracula is a better movie. And I enjoyed it a little bit more. It's relatively close because I don't love Dracula. I don't love either of these movies. I think they're both good. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not sure if I can explain it much better than that. I just kind of prefer Dracula. I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I definitely think Dracula is a White Fry is not in The Big Dollhouse. I'm sorry. No, you're right. And I mean, The Big Dollhouse, the acting in it is, you know, it's fine. You know, I don't have any problem. But the acting in Dracula I thought the wardress is... kind of sucked. I don't oh, want to yeah, say the, sucked, the camp but she's, I wanted yeah. something. I wanted a different performance in that role. I think sadistic german prison war dress <laughs> i think you need a bit of, a bit more over the top performance than what we got yeah well in that it's a shame because they were trying to you know put you off her trail because she was acting yeah, there was so supposed nice to be a mystery you there. know yeah but no i mean there's no acting in the big dollhouse that comes anywhere close to uh what are their dwight names Bell lugosi dwight fry and uh, uh what's his face van helsing 
Edward Van Sloan. I don't even think Edward Van Sloan's that great. But and I, honestly, I don't think Lugosi gives that great of a performance. It's it's an iconic performance, but I don't think it's like genuinely great. It's like uh No, but it suits the character well. No, it it does, but it's like Schwarzenegger in the Terminator. Yes, yeah. Wow, he's perfect that for that part, but you can't really say like he did an incredible job or he's a great actor or something. Yes, yeah. I agree. The Big Doll House was just fun. It was a, it was a pleasant surprise, and I love that Pam Greer song that she sings. I love that fucking kick to the gut that she gave that woman, <laughs> and I love the like the last fifteen minutes. It's great. Yeah, I mean, you gotta love a women in prison movie that, in theory, is going to take place all in this one prison and still finds a way to have an outdoor mud wrestling scene. <laughs> There's some genuine creativity in the writing to make that work. Oh uh, yeah. So Jim, how do you think this? works as a drive-in double feature i i think you know my answer you could guess my answer uh, i don't think it does work uh just two tonally radically different movies that can be fun though it can be fun and i think the only reason for me that it doesn't work is because a movie from 1931 feels so stiff and uptight and like rigid even in like hey filming. there's some stiffness in the second movie i'm gonna say that <laughs> yeah from sid haig I, i'm not sid haig just the viewer Okay, let me make my case. This is a good uh, okay, drive here we double go. feature. This is this here it is. Well, first of all, completely different eras, which I, I agree doesn't always work, but it's also neat to kind of see the evolution of I can't even say exploitation film because Dracula's so not an exploitation film. But it but it's a drive in film. It's a vampire, it's Dwight Fry acting crazy. Like that that performance fits in with like a exploitation movie from the 70s like he could be a member of the family in the texas chainsaw massacre or something with that performance (laughs) yeah uh and then okay so what is so what does dracula give us we get again 30s horror movies so we don't actually get scares but you get horror you know vampires gothic horror gothic atmosphere crazy performances creepy bella lugosi staring at people for 45 minutes um (laughs) With the big dollhouse, you kind of get everything else that you want. You get sex, you get nudity, you got you get action. Like it, you don't think this is going to turn into a girls with guns movie. It does for the last ten or fifteen minutes, which I thought was the best part of the movie. I like the fight scene though too. And then, you <laughs> and it's kind of a torture porn movie, and in a more more of a literal sense than like a saw or a hostile. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I like the different eras matching up here where we see this pre-code horror movie that's incredibly tame for the pre-code era. Again, reminder, Todd Browning made Freaks, which is a fucking insane movie, especially compared to (laughs) Dracula, which is a pretty, you know, straightforward endeavor. And then you get a little... You get to see a little bit of the creativity of the weird-ass late 60s, early 70s independent filmmaker just doing his own thing. I mean, this movie didn't feel anything like Spider-Baby, but at the same time, it felt just like Spider-Baby, where it was just like, this is just like a weird guy just doing his thing as yeah. a director. You know what I mean? Like, he's just... <laughs> I, 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 don't care what's, <laughs> I don't care what's commercial or marketable. I'm just going to make my weird-ass movie, and I'm going to get Sid Haig in it. And I want to ask... Does this count? Does what we get here count as Sid Haig raping someone? Because we need to establish if we've seen two movies where Sid Haig raped someone or just one. <laughs> well, like it's Spider definitely... Baby, we agreed he did. Okay, I, I don't want to get too explicit here. I don't think there's penetration, but uh, there's definitely him okay. grinding up on a woman and grabbing so, her boobs and kissing her. Sexual assault, if not yeah. rape. Yeah, I don't, I'd there's, at least there's a call sex it sexual crime assault. having been committed. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, and then in the sex crime, Hague. Greer. 
<laughs> and he and he groped Pam Greer. Earlier, oh, right? that's right. Yeah. Is is Sid Haig raping people going to be a theme with every Sid Haig movie we watch? <laughs> I wonder. We just have to watch Hopefully more. Not. You know. <laughs> anyway, but no, I think it's a good drive-in double feature. It's all in all, it's uh, probably two hours and thirty-five minutes or something like that, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Drive-in double feature that doesn't exhaust you, and it kind of exhilarates you too because Dracula's a little boring. The ending is pretty lame. We get an exciting climax in this movie, and this movie overall just a lot more exciting. I won't say more entertaining, but more exciting. If I wanted Dracula and something kind of, I didn't want to say exhilarating. Like if you wanted to have like a horror esque or like a or oh, shit, what's the name of that movie? Um, ah, oh, fuck. If we have to pair Dracula with a Pam Greer movie, what movie is it? <laughs> There is a correct answer. Oh no, I have I've only seen like three Pam Greer movies. It's Scream Blackula Scream, the sequel to Blackula. <laughs> Pam Greer's in that. That's 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 the logical one. Which is a pretty good movie, actually. I think I like it more than Blackula, and I like oh Blackula. So look, if we had to pair it with something like that, yeah. I don't know if you could pair the big dollhouse. I mean, in my opinion, I don't know if you could pair the big dollhouse with like a classy movie. Yeah, at all. And I think, like, Dracula You want, you want it to be sleaze and trash from the beginning? Exactly, yeah. Like, I think Dracula exudes class just from, like, the period. Uh, well, and Lugosi's uh, performance, even. Oh, yeah, of course. From the opening scene, you get, like, this kind of funky 70s song, you know, and fucking bamboo cages, and you're like, oh, I know what movie this is. You know, I st- I'm still out on the uh, on the it being Dracula. I think Dracula's just slightly too classy. And the kids are bored during Dracula, you think? Yeah, and they'd be like, I mean, I wasn't, but yeah, kids suck, so probably. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. That's the message for today's episode, everybody. Kids suck. There you go. All right, so Jim, next time, we, well, first of all, we're calling this sort of a, an end of our season one, but we will be returning with a new host website, Grandma Sophia's Cookies. That's a mostly a music and a cultural blog and website. I encourage you to check them out. They'll be hosting us. When we come back in season two, we're going to have special guest stars. I mean, I don't. that sounds too professional. I mean, these are like people that we know. Like, Let's call them special guest stars. That's special. I mean, we, we don't have like Barbara Crampton coming on here, <laughs> at least to my knowledge. I mean, Barbara, if you're listening, um, <laughs> we could talk about Reanimator. But yeah, so I mean, we'll be, we'll be back. Look for us probably in like September or October. We're going to take some time to record and edit so that we can stick to a very consistent release schedule once season two starts up. But we will be actually releasing one more episode for this season, although it won't be on any specific movies. This is going to be our season one recap where Jim and I discuss our favorite movies, our favorite moments from the first season, our least favorite movies. (laughs) Anyways, we're going to be talking about our favorite musical moments, a la Killer Machine from Dr. Alien. And uh, our favorite kills. Mm-hmm. And Jim and yeah. I will not be discussing our lists ahead of time, so we'll hopefully we'll have some variety. <laughs> and that's what's going to be coming up next time. So please feel free to join us. And other than that, we'll see you in season two. <laughs> <laughs>